Well, this morning we return to Luke, which is kind of a happy and sad occasion. I like the history stuff. I'll just tell you a little bit of history right now as we get ready to look at Luke 13, 31 through 35. Luke 13, 31 through 35. During the 1700s in Great Britain, wickedness, immorality, drunkenness were just rampant. The country just kind of rebounded from kind of the golden age of the Puritans in the 1600s and rebounded into just deep, dark corruption. And it was some of the saddest times that uh, Great Britain had ever experienced. Amazingly, God changed the whole country around because there were a handful of faithful men who went out to preach God's word. George Whitfield, Charles Wesley... Other men like that. One such man was a Methodist preacher named Howell Harris, who was bold and fearless. His biographer writes, quote, in Wales, he was attacked by ruffians, hated by clergy and brought before magistrates in 1741 in the town of Bala. The local clergy opened a barrel of beer on the main street and used it to entice a mob to attack Harris. The women were as fiendish as the men, for they besmeared him with mire, while their companions beat him with their fists and clubs, inflicting such wounds that his path could be marked in the streets by the crimson stains of his blood. The enemy continued to persecute him, striking him with sticks and staves, until overcome with exhaustion, he fell to the ground, where they continued to abuse him, end quote. This was just one of the examples that this preacher experienced, not because he was a criminal, not because he had done anything wrong, but because he was bold in preaching the gospel. Even in his own church in London, on multiple occasions, mobs broke in. So angry were they, so furious at his preaching the gospel, and they beat the people in his congregation and him just for just to hope that they would shut the church down. In the town of Wiltshire in Swindon, Harris was preaching with another man named John Sinek. There again, they were attacked. They described their ordeal with these words saying, quote, the mob fired guns over our heads, holding the muzzles so near our faces that we were made black as the tinkers. Tinkers were those who kind of worked with pots over the fire with the powder. We were not frightened, but opened our breasts, telling them we were ready to lay down our lives. Well, think about that. Have you ever been beaten and kicked around because you were a Christian? You ever been sitting here during the service and they popped in, whacked you with a stick multiple times because you were at church? That's how it was then. And when we read about men and women of great courage... It kind of warms our hearts because we think these people were normal people and they stood up for the Lord. But how did they do that? How did they do that? Well, we're going to learn this morning from Jesus in Luke 13. Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. He's going to die on the cross for our sins and he knows it. He's warned his disciples multiple times that this was going to happen. Jesus, knowing his time is short, is becoming more and more forceful with his gospel presentations. When we get to chapter 14, it's just going to be very humbling as Jesus 
gives us the hardest words found anywhere in any of the gospels calling sinners to repentance. And in Luke 13, in one instance, he heals a woman on the Sabbath in the synagogue in front of everybody just to let them know I am the Messiah and I'm going to show you. So he does. He then gives a couple parables. And as they're walking to the next village, the disciples wonder because Jesus is so forceful, calling everyone sinners, calling everyone to a repentance. They're wondering, Lord, are there just a few who are going to be saved? And Jesus answers with the affirmative. Yes, a few. He says, because the gate is narrow that leads to eternal life. And if you want to get in there, you need to strive to enter that narrow gate. And this is where our text picks up this morning. Follow along in your Bible as I read Luke 13, verses 31 through 35. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Then I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we're going to look at five important lessons Jesus gives us in this text about being bold and courageous in our proclamation of the gospel. These are things we have seen in detail and will see in detail. So we're just going to kind of survey them. But the first is this. Don't be manipulated by fear. Look at verse 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached saying, go away Leave here for Herod wants to kill you. Now, just think about that. The Pharisees are the most powerful, the most intimidating, you know, religious, hair-splitting, fanatic leaders that everybody looks to as the model, as the super Bible thumpers of the culture. They are now approaching Jesus and they're telling Jesus, go away from here because Herod, Herod Antipas, wants to kill you. Now, what are they trying to do? Well, obviously, it's pretty clear. They're trying to manipulate Jesus by fear. Now, there is some disagreement about what's going on here. Some people say, well, the Pharisees here are they're really good Pharisees like Nicodemus, and they're just trying to warn Jesus that his life is in danger. I don't think so. There is no indication in the text or in the preceding context that the Pharisees were all kind to him. They wanted to kill him. They were violent against him and hated him. So I don't think that's a good view. Others have said, well, these Pharisees were actually in contact with Herod and were kind of Herod's spies. They were spying on Jesus as Jesus went around and ministered so they could report to Herod. Well, that could be. But the problem is, is why, if they were spies, would they tell Jesus what Herod was going to do? That doesn't work either. I think the best idea is to think that they're just bluffing him. These uh, Pharisees may have heard rumors that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. I mean, you know, he did take off John the Baptist's head. 
And they may have uh, thought that Jesus's life was in danger, but why would they tell him? Because they want to discourage him from doing what he wants to do, from, to leave their town so he doesn't pollute it. Or maybe they knew he was on his way to Jerusalem and they want to stop him from going to Jerusalem. So they're trying to say, listen, your life is in danger and you need to put an end to this movement of yours. And so what does Jesus do? He, he obviously says, well, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I've offended you. I'll stop preaching the gospel. I'll disband my disciples and we'll all go home. Uh, Peter, James, John, go back to fishing. Matthew, go collect taxes again. And Simon, you'll be a religious zealot. (laughs) Is that what he does? Not in your life. It would be unthinkable after everything we've learned from Luke's gospel that all of a sudden Jesus would cave into pressure. And as just as unthinkable it is that Jesus would cave into pressure, it should be unthinkable to us as well. If Jesus wasn't fearful and we are to be like Jesus, then we shouldn't be fearful either. And we all need to look at our life and ask ourselves, are we being manipulated, controlled, intimidated into not doing the will of God because of fear? Each of us who are truly saved, who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have a responsibility in the world to live for Christ, to share the gospel with people, and a responsibility in this local body of believers to exercise our spiritual gifts from the Lord. And yet how many times does fear keep us from doing what we know we should do? I mean, I find myself sometimes thinking about all the things I should do and I never do them. You you ever do that? You probably know people back east who are like that. Um, Yeah, you start thinking, oh, next time I see so-and-so, I'm just going to lay the gospel on him. I'm just bombing him. You know, and then you start talking and chit-chatting and it just never quite gets around. And there's other people standing by and then, you know, you don't say anything. We need to get over that. And you look in the scriptures, you see how many people sin because out of fear. You remember when Abraham was fearful of dying? And so on two different occasions, he gave his wife to another man. Think about that. Think about that. Or later when Sarah herself, fearful that she couldn't give birth to a a child, gave her maid Hagar to Abraham as a wife. Or maybe Jacob, when he was fearful that he wouldn't get the blessing of the firstborn, since he got the rights of the firstborn, the bowl of soup, he thought, I need the blessing too, and and I'm obviously not going to get it, so I better deceive my father in order to get it. He was fearful. What about Moses? You ever read the first several chapters of Exodus, how Moses argues with God? Listen, God, I am the wrong. Are you talking to me? Listen, I am not the guy. I I I I stutter. I'm thick of tongue. I I can't I can't do this. Are you sure, God? Who made your mouth? Well, you did, but you don't know how it is. He argues with him repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It's amazing. Why? Because he's fearful. 
He doesn't want to do it. Like Jonah, who didn't want to go into Nineveh because he was afraid that if he went to Nineveh and he preached the gospel, that God would save some of those wretched beasts. And so he ran away. But what's interesting is, is when you look at all those people, Abraham's the father of faith, Sarah. She appears in Hebrews chapter 11. Moses, he's like one of the all-time champions, Jacob. How did those people get from being so afraid to just like champions of the faith? Listen, everybody struggles with fear. Everybody struggles with fear. It's just the way it is. But you need to realize that fearing man is a sin. The scriptures make that clear. The fear of man brings a snare. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Proverbs 29, 25. You just need to confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, I am a chicken. I am scared. I am fearful of opening my mouth. I need you to strengthen me. I need your grace. I need you to help me. And he will. Because he wants you to be bold for the lost. You know, even the elders struggle with this at times. Sometimes the elders, we're all getting around. We're all, we all want to make the right decision. In the worst way, and sometimes we do make it in the worst way, but we try and fix it after that. Um, but, you know, we, we sometimes we start thinking, the conversation kind of goes, what do we need to do to, well, what will so-and-so think? Or what if people respond this way? Or what? what is that? That is the fear of man. That is a sin. And we have to remind ourselves, let's just set aside what could happen. And let's just look at the scriptures and do what God says. And that's what we all need to do. That is our calling. You remember what Jesus said in Luke 12, 4 through 5. I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. For after that, what else can they do? You know what? Kick around your ashes after they burn you in the fire. I mean, what are they going to do after they kill you? He says, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed Your body has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. We are to fear God. And so when we find ourselves fearing men, we we need to stop. And we need to just confess that to God. And we need to trust that God knows what he's doing when he tells chickens to go out and witness the lions. That's... What he tells us to do. You read in the scriptures of men. There are so many great examples of men. You know like David the teenager who goes out against Goliath. Isn't that incredible? Or Jonathan. Uh, who who comes up to a whole garrison of Philistines and says. Hey. Um, Lord I'll tell you what. I'm going to ask them if they want to come down to me or they want me to go up to them. And if they say, come up here, then I'll know you've given them into my hand. Now, when you're only one guy and you're going against a whole garrison, 
And everybody knows that having to fight uphill is the worst thing. You're at the greatest disadvantage. And so he walks up to the garrison and says, you going to come down here? You want me to come up there? They said, come up. He goes to his armor bearer. Come on. The Lord's given us, given them into our hands. And single-handedly, he hikes up the hill while they're waiting. The whole garrison, okay, here he comes. Comes up huffing and puffing. The God gives him strength and he slays them all. It's like, are you kidding me? No. How did that happen? Because God always supplies the grace when we're willing to step out in faith, believe him and trust him and obey him. Secondly, we learn from this text from Jesus. Look at verse 32 to speak the truth with boldness. Not only did Jesus not fear men or even death, Luke writes, and he said to them, go tell that fox, speaking of Herod, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. First, he just calls their bluff. Listen, you trying to intimidate me? I'm not intimidated. Listen, if you're so close to Herod, which they probably weren't, I mean, Herod was the ruler of the whole region, you know, and the Pharisees hated Herod. Very unlikely that they were in contact with him. Jesus goes, okay, all right, you're so close to Herod, go tell that fox. And that was a kind of a, you know, when you call somebody a fox, at that time, it was to call them kind of a sly, wily, weaselly, cowardly dog. So, you know, he even gives them some fodder. It's like, oh, we're going to go tell on you. <laughs> go tell that fox. He says, listen, I'm casting out demons. I'm performing miracles. And then I'm going to reach my goal. And you can't stop me. That is extreme fearlessness and courage. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from the father. No one takes my life from me. Now, that is, that's great to see Jesus's courage, his boldness. He knows he has to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified and he knows that no one can stop the absolute will of God. Now, the question is, do we know this? Do we know this? You know, if I were to ask you some questions like, can you thwart God's absolute will? You said, oh, no, no, no. Can you die before your time? No, no. Is there ever a time when God's pulling his hair out going, oh, no, he died and I was going to use him? <laughs> you would say, of course not. And it's very easy to speak with our lips. Agreement to the truth, but quite another thing to obey the truth. And when it's our time to die, I want you to know you're going to die. And all the angels in heaven couldn't save you. And when God's will for you to live, you are going to live and nothing can kill you. 
I mean, do we believe that or not? That kind of takes all of the fear of death away, doesn't it? Because you know, when the time comes for you to die, you're going to die and you're not going to die until that time. And God's going to preserve you until he wants you to go. And then you're going to go and no amount of exercise and vitamins and doctors are going to stop it. It may be today. It may be in 50 years, but God has a plan for you. Now, this doesn't mean we should neglect our health and say, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God. So I'm just going to eat Twinkies all my life. (laughs) No, God works sovereignly with our responsibility. So take care of yourself and trust God. As one of our elders mothers told him, we should trust God and lock our doors. So that's it. If God calls us to speak the truth, to speak the gospel, to be bold, to be courageous, to not fear men, then we need to ask God to help us speak the truth, to do it with boldness, to not fear men and to trust God. And leave the results in his hand. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. Thirdly, have courage to obey God. Look at verse 33. He says, nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus isn't saying that it's impossible. It's just the normal case that prophets perished in Jerusalem. Some did perish outside of Jerusalem. But most of them perished in Jerusalem at the hands of their own countrymen. And Jesus being the prophet, you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 18, where in Deuteronomy 18, Jesus is, uh, or the prophet is predicted, who is Jesus. He's, God says, I will send to you a prophet from among your own selves, and he will speak my truth to you. And of course, Peter in Acts 3 and Acts 7 quotes that text in reference to Jesus. He wasn't a prophet. He was the prophet. He was God incarnate, the word of God incarnate. And so, of course, when he is speaking, he has courage. He has courage because he knows what God's will is. He knows what the father wants him to do. And he has set his heart to obey the father no matter what. And Jesus is going to die in Jerusalem. Now, think about this. Think about If you had to, you know, drive to the next town, that wouldn't be a big deal. But it would be quite another thing if, let's say, they said on your way as you drive to that town, there's going to be people hiding alongside the road who will be shooting at you and you could die. Now, that would kind of, you know, up the ante, wouldn't it? The fear factor there a little bit. But what if you knew for certain that you would be tortured and crucified at the end of your destination. That would be a whole nother thing, wouldn't it? It's one thing to obey God thinking you might be persecuted. It's a whole nother level of courage, a whole nother level of boldness to know for certain you will die at the hands of godless men and suffer the most excruciating death invented up until that time crucifixion. And that's what Jesus is facing. And yet Jesus goes into that with courage. It's amazing. It is amazing. 
Psalm 27 verse 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I love that text because it says, wait for the Lord at the beginning and wait for the Lord at the end. And in the middle, the peanut butter and jelly is what? Let your heart take courage. Why is that? Because waiting is one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? Waiting for your God to save your children, your relatives, your mom and dad, co-workers, neighbors, waiting for God to raise up people, raise up finances, do certain ministries, get you a job. You know, there's a lot of things that God promises us and we know they're in his word, but he doesn't say, well, just because the promise is there, as soon as you claim it, you'll get it. We have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait until after we die to get what God promises. And it takes a lot of courage sometimes when we know or feel confident something is God's will and it's just not happening according to our timetable. And we have to wait and we have to wait. And sometimes that waiting is the hardest thing to do. And so at Calvary Bible Church, as a local body of believers, we need to take courage from God, from Jesus' example, and ask God for the grace to be strong and to do those things God has called us to do instead of just cowering, instead of hiding. Read texts like, Haggai chapter two, verse four, the people are just discouraged at this time. They've come back from captivity. They've taken, they've rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem, but then they took all the money that was supposed to be used for the temple. And you know what they did? They spent it on their own houses. This of course didn't please God very much. And so the temple is in ruin, so they can't offer sacrifices. They can't have their sins atoned for. They can't be right with God. And yet they're living in their houses. But then God then decides to like, take his blessing away and puts the squeeze on them. So they're just miserable. They're surviving, but they're just miserable. But they don't have any money because they spent it all. And so they're discouraged. They're in sin. They're not being blessed. And then the Lord speaks to them through the prophet and says this, Haggai 2, 4, but now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. He not only commands them to take courage, he commands them to work. And you know what happened? As soon as they began to work, he supplied all the graces, grace they needed, and the temple was completed. He gave them the promise. They need to step out in faith. And then he gave them a grace to do it. That's how it works. But believe me, you never get out of the bunker. You're never going to engage in the battle. You don't share the gospel. No one is coming to Christ. But you say, oh, Jack, but you know, I share the gospel with people. It's like only one out of a hundred comes to Christ. Well, then share with thousands. So because it takes a hundred to bring one to Christ, you're not going to share at all. That's kind of the mindset that a lot of people have. Well, I've shared, 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 shared. No one's come. Well, keep doing it until one comes and then just realize that, you know, chances are if you share that many times again, you'll get another one. You'll get another one. 
We need to remember what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, as he's closing his letter to the Corinthians. He says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be strong what? Be strong in following the Lord. Be strong in following the Lord. Take courage and follow the Lord. You know, we're in a spiritual war. You know, Paul tells us that, right? In Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. He doesn't say you might be in a battle someday. You are in a battle. You're out on the field. And the question is, are you just standing there getting shot at? Or are you engaging in the war? And so we need to look to Jesus, who is our example, who didn't fear the intimidation of men. He was courageous. He was bold in speaking the truth. And the question is, how could he do this? What would motivate you to do something like this? That's our fourth point, because he had compassion for the lost. Look at verse 34. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. You know, it was undeniable. It was in their sacred writings. You can open up the book and read it. They just killed the prophets. The prophets were kind of God's last resort when they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. And then they made, they kind of reaffirmed it as they were getting ready to enter into the land and they entered into the land. They had the law. They had the blessing and cursings. They had everything they needed to know how to be blessed by the Lord. And then they disobeyed. And so instead of God just destroying them and sending curses upon them, he kept sending them prophet after prophet after prophet, which were kind of like a reminder, you aren't doing what's right. If you turn from your sin, you will be blessed. If you turn from your sin, you will be blessed. And so they kept reminding them, turn, 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 and they wouldn't do it. Instead, they killed the prophets who were sent to do them good. And here Jesus just laments that. He laments that. And notice what he says in the middle of verse 34. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. And you see here just his tender compassion for these stubborn people who hate him. When I was growing up, we raised chickens and uh, every spring some of the hens would you know, set in some eggs and hatch some little peeping, scratching fuzz balls. They were kind of cool. They kind of look like fuzzy golf balls with legs that stuck down. They're extremely cute when they're brand new. And every time a hawk would fly over or a crow, that mother hen would do this certain cluck thing, and all those little fuzz balls would just bolt and hide underneath her. She'd hold her wings out like this, so they'd all be covered under her wings. And what you learn is that mother hens are anything but chicken when it comes to protecting their young. They are fearless. They are fearless. They'll just give their life in a second. On many instances where fires have gone through areas where there have been hens, they have found mother hens charred to death with living babies underneath them. They find this charred chicken and they kick it over and out come the little peepers. Gives her life, will not move from the fire in order to protect those. And this is how Jesus is saying, oh, how I've longed to have you come under my wings that I might save you, that I might protect you from the fire that is to come. 
As the psalmist cries out in Psalm 91, verse 4, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Jesus is the escape hatch. And you know what? It's not fun being rejected. You know, you you share with that family member, and they get angry. You share with the co-worker and they scoff at you you share with your friend and they never want to speak to you again it's not fine being rejected but how do you get over that well you get over that by doing this you quit thinking about you and how uncomfortable it is for you and you start thinking about the other person loving the other person doing what's best for the other person and remember that if that person doesn't come to know christ in this life they will perish and suffer in hell for all eternity And you have the message that God uses to bring someone to faith. And then you share the gospel with them. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be harsh. But you have to share the gospel. Let's say you're a mother. And you know, you go to the hospital and your child has some sort of plague. The doctor says, okay, I've got some medicine here that'll fix this. If you have to feed Three teaspoons of this medicine to your child three times a day or your child's going to die. But of course, the medicine tastes nasty. Your kid's two years old and doesn't like medicine. And cries and throws a tantrum every time you try and get that spoon near its face. So what do you do as a mother? Say, well, it's so uncomfortable for me to try and feed that medicine to my child. I'll just let him die. I mean, that's no way. You just grab those squirmy little arms, get somebody else to hold their pudgy little nose, and it's down with the hatch. (laughs) Why? Because you love that child. You love that child. You want to see that child healed. You don't want that plague killing your child. So you give them their medicine. Why? Because it's good for them. Because they like it? No. They do not like it. They struggle against it. They fight against it. As we hear from many testimonies, sometimes it's, you know, the thousand and one person that finally shares the gospel and it bears fruit in a person's life. You know, it's interesting when you graduate from seminary, you know, you get all this knowledge and and, uh, your, your knowledge is up here and your application's so low you can't even see it, you know. There's this huge dichotomy between what you have in your head and what you're living out in your life. One of the things you know is, is people are saved by the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for all who believe. This simple little message that Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. Died in the cross for our sins, bore our sins in the cross, was a human sacrifice in our place, died our death, was buried and rose again the third day. I mean, you can say it in a lot of different ways. Jesus Christ and him crucified is a quick way. That's it. This little simple message. You know, theologically, mentally, that that is the truth. But man, it just takes a while to settle into your heart. You... sometimes it just seems like, well, we keep telling people that. You know how many do I have to say it every Sunday? Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, you know, if the rapture happened, is everybody in this room going to be gone? No. No. Some of you don't know Christ. Some of you know you don't know Christ. Some of you 
are pretending that you know Christ, but no, you don't know him. Others are deceived into thinking you know him, but don't. Some people just have come off the street. They're here this morning going, man, this guy's fanatic. (laughs) You know, I'm just hurting and I've got problems in my life. So I decided to come to this church and I didn't know there was going to be this psychotic guy preaching. You know, there's all these reasons that everybody's here. And pretty soon you realize that, no, you need to keep putting the gospel out there. Not because I save people, because that's what God uses to save people. And sometimes he doesn't even use that. It just seems like he uses some sort of fragment of truth to save people. But it's always his word. It's the preaching. It's the sharing. It's the proclaiming of his word that brings people to salvation. And we have to open our mouth. And God wants to use us. And you know what? Sometimes God raises up people to be harvesters. It seems like they're always leading people to the Lord. And then you look at your life and you're just a seed thrower. You never see the crop. It's like, well, I witnessed that guy for six months. And then you talked to him once and he came to the Lord. What's the deal? Well, the point is, is that he came to the Lord. Who cares who sows and who cares who reaps as long as they get saved? It's not your job to say, well, I'll share the Lord with these people if you save them. No, you share Christ with them because they need to hear it. And then you let God save who he wants when he wants. So we need to have compassion on the loss because our compassion for the loss is what motivates us to do what is uncomfortable and to think of them over ourselves. And fifth and finally, we learn from Jesus in this text that we need to tell people of the dire consequences if they reject him. Look at verse 35. Jesus lamenting the Jews rejection said, behold, your house is left to you desolate, a wilderness, a wasteland, you know, a city that's been conquered and all the people have been removed and weeds and dust have blown in just a wasteland. He says, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to end up being a spiritual wasteland in hell for all eternity. If you don't come to know Christ. There is no second heaven you can get into. There's no other way to some other eternal utopia. There is only one way, one truth, and one life, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified. You must place your faith in him, and if you do not do that, you will perish in hell for all eternity, and nothing can save you. For there is only one Savior, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to tell people that. You know, there's a great temptation, isn't there? I mean, even when God, by his grace, gives us the boldness to speak out, gives us an opportunity, you know, sometimes it's like, well, listen, Lord, you know, if the opportunity comes up as if we couldn't make it, if, if the opportunity comes up and, you know, the, the, they, it's T-ball and they put the ball there and then the guy says, how must I be saved? And, um, and we get to swing at it, you know, if that happens. Don't wait around. It's happened to me a few times. It's kind of shocking. It's like, oh, oh, I'll tell you. But even when we do have an opportunity to share the gospel, we're often fearful of telling them the whole truth, aren't we? That God is a holy God. He's a just God. He punishes sinners and casts them into hell for eternity. They need to know that because if they don't know that, then what is there to be saved from? That is what you have to be saved from. 
It's not like God has to save you from having a bad marriage or disobedient children or discontentment or unhappiness in your life. That's not what you need saved from. But a lot of times when we preach the gospel, we kind of just forget the hell, the judgment, the holiness of God, because we present to people all the good things God will do for them as if the bad things they're not, they're experiencing now could be fixed and they need to be saved from those bad things. No, they need to be saved from the judgment of God. And so Jesus says here, behold, because you reject me, your house is going to be eternally a spiritual wasteland. And so we need to learn boldness from Jesus in this way. And then look at the middle of verse 35. Jesus ends by saying, I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And of course, that happened at the triumphal entry, didn't it? That statement, of course, comes um, from Psalm 118 verses 20 verse 26 and you know that passage you know psalm 118 verse 23 the stone which the builders rejected this became the very cornerstone it is marvelous in our eyes this is the lord's doing this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it and then he calls out in verse 25 for a blessing and then he says blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord that is referring to jesus it's spoken of jesus you can read it in luke 19 13 they cry that out they fulfill that prophecy and why was jesus blessed Because knowing he was going to die for our sins, knowing he was going to give himself for those who hated him, he went anyways. He he walked into death. He rode into death on the donkey. And all those people who were willing to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were willing to have him or anybody else as long as they beat up Rome and establish the supremacy of Israel. But as soon as Jesus began to be tried... And soon as they realize this man's not a king, this man's not a conqueror. Look at he's not beaten up on Rome. They're trying him. They cried out for his death. They watched. They did not come to his defense as he was crucified and died for them on the cross. And they didn't know that he was dying for them, but he was. And so this is why the psalmist says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is blessed is Jesus because he went to his death knowing it was going to happen. He had boldness. He had courage to do what is best for us, though it cost him his life. So I think the least we could do is do the same for him and maybe risk some angry people. Maybe risk losing a few friends. Maybe risk having people talk behind our back because we're religious fanatics and Jesus freaks and those brand of Christians who actually think you need to be born again. So what have we learned? One, don't be manipulated by fear. Two, speak the truth with boldness. Three, have courage to obey God. Four, have compassion for the lost. And five, warn people of the consequences of rejecting Jesus so they know what they need to be saved from. That's what we learn from Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy, your kindness, your graciousness. Father, we are all fearful. We're all chickens at heart. But Father, we know your grace is sufficient for us. And all those men and women of the past who are just ordinary people all cried out to you all received sufficient grace. And as they set out to do your work, 
you gave them everything they needed to accomplish the task you had laid before them. Help us all to fulfill your will by your grace. Help us not to hide from the battle, but to be bold and courageous like Jesus. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.